the age of 15, where most people were studying, I was walking the streets with machetes, stabbing knives, looking for drug dealers, hurting them, dragging them out of cars, slamming their heads against car doors. We thought, let's make it produce, start making money. Where the name wasn't made now, we started taxing people. We started kidnapping people. We tortured them for about two or three days. After we tortured them, we tortured them so bad, then we all said, this is what we want. And they were so fed up of being hurt, they just said, listen, just take whatever you want. I was always known for being the wild card. I was the crazy one. So it just always felt normal for me to always do one thing that was always above everyone else. Every time I go into the police station, I get nicked. They started reminding me, they remind me for a couple of days on the charges will get dropped. And that's the one thing that the police don't like. Because when that starts happening, the police think you're above the law. Then you end up having a personal vendetta against the police. The first uh, big stretch I had was for uh, kidnapping, um, firearms, uh, GBH, blackmail. So he's let off with two shots. One's gone in my leg, the other's gone past me. As I've slammed the door, there's an axe there. I've picked up the axe, I've gone straight for the guy. The guy that I'd given my address was six o'clock in the morning outside the newsagents, drinking a cup of coffee, reading a newspaper. Someone's knocked on his window, he's up the window, he's sliced his throat. So if they are gangsters, and now they come to a point where they've come across a situation which they can't handle, only I can handle. So what does that make me? I'll let you decide. I decided to change my ways, I decided to help people, and I decided that I could still be that line, but instead of biting every fucker's head off, let's just bite off the people's heads that, we, that deserve to be bitten off. But I can't say what's written in the future, yeah? But all I can say is, I will keep doing what I've got to do. I will still keep helping the people that I need to help. And if it means I've got to go to prison for that, then so be it. Back to KRM TV, we're bringing you the most exciting interviews from around the world. Today, delighted to be in Southall with a very infamous and notorious figure, especially within the Asian community, Jaspal Singh Sandhu, or as most people know, Injection Ship and Jab. Injection, thank you very much for giving me the opportunity. It's much, much appreciated. How are you doing? Good, mate. Good. Caught me at a bad time. Yeah, well, what's going yeah, on? I was recovering from a cold and um, a couple of injuries from the gym. Well, hopefully it wasn't COVID or anything like that, was it? No, 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 nothing that bad. You're all right, you've got nothing to worry about. Good, good, good. I don't, won't put my mask on then. <laughs> so, um, obviously you've got an absolute insane story. I've recently watched your documentary and recommend it to anyone. Um, it's been crazy ups and downs you've obviously had. And uh, obviously before, previous times you were doing some bad stuff. And they've managed to turn it all around and do a lot of positive stuff. Mm. Especially within the Asian community and Southall, but also throughout the country. Um, Congratulations on the work you do. Thank you. But if, um, all I guess, we'd like to sort of go back to the start and see what sort of sculpted you to become the man you are today, if possible, injection. Well, um, what can I say? I was never really like this. Um, even the way I look, 
I've only uh, I've only kept my beard and my turban for the last couple of years. Before that, I was just like just like yourself, clean shaven, um, just a normal guy. Uh, getting into a lot more trouble than the average, though. Um, it's it's hard, you know. Uh, nobody wants to live a life like this. We all have dreams when we're young. You know, we want to work in this job. We want to be like this. Nobody chooses a life of crime. Um, being young, I'd seen a lot of stuff coming from a family full of criminals. I didn't know anything else. It was just crime all the time. And it was, you know, just trying to be bigger, better, stronger than the people around you. It's just trying to make a name. And, um, yeah, you know, I, I, to be honest with you, that I started seeing when I got a little bit older. But from a young age, I always had that in me. I think it was in my blood. Um, you know, even my father, my uncles, they were stand-up guys, staunch guys. And from a young age, even as far as I remember, I think I must have been eight years old, probably, give or take a couple of years, when I first smashed a window with my fist at school and it was just always fighting 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 and um yeah so i, I didn't really think it was going to go down this route and um i think when i got older i started realizing that i started enjoying it i started enjoying hurting people and uh, i got approached by an organization called the shirley punjab who then said to me why don't you put all this fighting in good use rather than just beating people up just for the fun of it why don't you come and beat people up with us and there'll be a reason behind it i didn't know nothing about religion i didn't know nothing about religion i you asked me anything about religion i didn't know anything and um through these guys i started listening to religious music started listening to uh traditional music bangra music um, you know, they were, these guys weren't just religious nutheads, they were just like normal guys, but they had a lot of knowledge about religion. And um, so we just used to go around just beating people, man, hurting people, like, it was... And so what, sorry to interrupt you, so what was making you guys, obviously you're saying it's a religious thing, and so what, but you guys were going out and being violent, was this sort of stuff against other religions, or what? It was, was mainly this? against other religions, but yeah. to me, at the time, I didn't really care. I just wanted to fight people. I wanted to hurt people. And to me it was whoever the biggest guy is, I'd go for him. And if the biggest guy weren't enough, I'd just go into a crowd, 10, 15 guys, and I would just, I'll rumble them. You know what I mean? And um, it to, to, it's hard to explain. Like, what, what age did this start though? So what age did you join uh, the Shed Punjab? Would you say? I must have been about 15, I was young. I was so the youngest young age, guy. still at school then? I was the youngest guy in the crew, the rest of them were all in their 20s. But you know like how most people, you know, they hear some of the stories and they think, oh, like, this ain't normal. Like, you must be twisted in the head. But in our circle, it was normal to, before we go out, we'd pop into B&Q, and at that time, you can get, I think it was 4.99, you could pick up a small pocket axe, and it used to be nice with a kind of a, um, kind of one of those fake leather covers, and um, it was perfect. You just slot the handle straight in your trousers and it will, it will just come up to about there. And then the axe head will just basically be sitting on top of the belt and it'll be perfect. You use that, 
chop people up, throw it away, it's just a fiver. You know what I mean? And to that, to them, to us, that was normal. You understand what I'm saying? Beating people up, cutting people with Stanley knives, um, keeping knuckle dusters around you, um, being around people with guns, it was just normal. I didn't, I didn't know any other, any other way of living. You understand mm -hmm. what I'm saying? People were saying, oh, we went to college and stuff, and you know, we were doing this. To me, I, I, I could never imagine myself doing that, because it was a totally different lifestyle. Sounds absolutely insane. And so, obviously, while you're doing all this sort of stuff, committing quite serious acts of violence, was there other criminality that going along with it? Were you guys selling drugs? Were you smoking drugs yourself or drinking a lot? Or to this time, the people sense? that were involved with us were all criminals. Every single one of us, and still to this day, they're all criminals. They're, they're, some of them are businessmen. They're criminals turned businessmen. Um, and... But a lot of them at the time were just all criminals. You know, they were drug dealers, bootleggers. Um, they were into every single possible crime you could think of. There was at that time there was a big thing for credit card fraud. You know, it was just madness. And um, but we even had good people. We had college students. We had people studying law. We had people who were applying to become police officers. It was mad. We our circle was just was just crazy. We had a lot, a lot of people in our circle. We had up to, I think now, I think there's, there's up to about 2,000 members. Mm, crazy. And so um, I've heard you mention before your uncle was a very notorious and serious fellow back in the day, part of all the gangs and yeah. a gang leader, was he? Maybe yeah. the... He was uh, part of the Tutinans. Okay. So um, growing up in Southall, there was only two gangs. Yep. There was the Holy Smokes and then there was the Tutinans. Originally, there used to be one, yep. and then obviously they, they parted and created two gangs. And um, coming from a family where everyone was just on that kind of flex, you know, we didn't know anything different. You know, um, there'd be helicopters looking for him every other day. You know, there'd be police meat wagons driving up and down. You know, always constantly between the two roads where the families all lived, there was police patrols all the time. And you'd always hear about him from, I mean, you'd have people that would cross the road, and this has happened in front of my eyes, they would cross the road just to go and touch his feet and then walk off again. And that is the kind of level that these guys were on. All the, all the shop owners, all the businesses around here, they all had to pay him respect, if mm -hmm. you know what I mean, yeah? So it, it, it was just, it was just... Um, so you must have naturally looked up to him from yeah, a young age he then. Was, he was a G, the guy... He was a don. And is he still a serious fellow now? And obviously he still is. Like the guy is still to this day, he must be in his 60s. You know, he can run 10 miles, just like that, on the, on the money machine. The guy, he's a machine. You know, so with him, he wasn't just a money maker. Um, you know, he was, he was involved in some serious violence. Mm -hmm. And um, so coming up from a family like that, and then obviously my father, my father, he, my, he was just, he was just, he was, a, he was a lion, this guy, you know, um, every weekend he'll come on covered in blood, you know, and I knew straight away it was somebody's been hurt today, you know what I mean, and, but you don't think of it, anything of it, it's just normal, you know what I mean, it's just, it just became normal, and then um, I guess it's just sort of, I didn't sit there and I'm not planning that this is how I'm going to be, it just happens, you know what I mean, it's just the things you're involved in and, you know, my dad used to always say to me, even though he used to do the stuff himself, he used to always say to me, don't do this, don't do that. But when you're young, you're like, oh, whatever, man, it's cool. Times are changing it from your times. Things are different now. You know, you always think you know better. 
but it's obviously when you got older, you realise that they were right in many ways, you know, but you have to learn the hard way. You have to experience all of this before you actually can understand what they were trying to say. Yeah, it's completely agree. Unfortunately, I had to learn that way as well, the hard way. Um, and so I've heard you mention previously that one of your family members was on hard drugs when you were younger. Mm -hmm. um, thankfully, they're not anymore, thank God. Um, but what sort of effect did that have on you as a child and that did you? At the age of 15, where most people were studying and um, chilling at home, I was walking the streets with machetes, Stanley knives, looking for drug dealers, hurting them, dragging them out of cars, slamming their heads against car doors, um, just doing all sorts, man, like cutting ears off. Like for a 15 year old boy, like these guys weren't, they weren't people off the streets. These were well established drug dealers in their 30s, some even in their 40s, mm. you know, from large families, connected families, and even other drug dealer families wouldn't, would think twice before messing with these people. But then here you've got a 15 year old kid that's just taking them out of business, that's just chopping up all their, uh, um, their workers, chopping them up, you know I mean, putting them in and out of hospital. It's just, it was mad. Mm. Like at, at the time, to me, I didn't think, I didn't, I didn't think, am I gonna die? What are the repercussions gonna be? I just felt like nothing's gonna happen to me. They can't touch me because I'm just gonna finish them all. You know what I'm saying? And mm. that's the kind of mindset I had. And that's the mindset I've always had, to be honest with you. I just think we're all made from the same thing. If something's gonna happen to me, it's gonna happen, isn't it? And you know, if you if you start living your life in fear, where you're constantly thinking, this might happen to me, that might happen to me, then you, you're finished. You're living your life scared. Mm. Absolutely. And so did that put you off dabbling with drugs at a young age or stuff? Were you smoking or anything like this at a young age? No? I ain't touched that. that. That was one of the main reasons. You know what I mean? Um, I used to drink a little bit here and there, but I didn't touch that. But even with the alcohol, the only reason I didn't go heavy with the alcohol is because I've seen members of the family. Like within, within the Indian uh, culture, it's normal for especially Sikhs to hit the bottle yeah. and to hit it hard. Um, you know, because it's just it's just the way I've got a few being, friends yeah, that will be drinking, especially. You know what I'm yeah, so, and, so. Um, so I always try to avoid that. My dad always said to me from a young age, he goes, "Listen, son, because if you're going to drink, come home and drink. Don't be going outside and drinking because you're going to have a lot of enemies that are going to take full advantage of you being drunk. Don't ever let it get to that." And he was right. I'll never ever never ever did I ever go outside and drink maybe one drink here and there but I'd only do it if I had like 30 40 guys with me some of my brothers you know what I mean but I wouldn't be on my own I wouldn't be drinking that's definitely good advice mm -hmm. and so um, obviously you're a massive lump today but you started training from a young age so what sort of age were you in the gym and started getting into your weights and stuff I started at the age of 12 Jesus but when I when I started um, I was really fat I was quite um, I don't know if the worst, that's the word you can use but I guess I was quite obese and um, I remember it was it all started off because of the person that I was looking up to, which was my uncle. And yeah, he asked my brother to do something once, and um, I just happily just said, "I'll do it." And he turned around and said to me, "Because you ain't able to do it, you're fat." And that stuck in my head, and I went back. You know, when you're young, you you say things to kids, you, you don't think they're gonna take it seriously, but yeah. it, they sit that it sits in the head. So I went back and it sat in my head, and I'm thinking, "I'm gonna show you, man." 
I'm going to show you. So the next day I started eating gym. Thing is, I've done gym for the first three years. I've done it totally wrong. I was doing the same body parts seven days a week. And that, it just didn't grow. My body didn't grow. But I lost all the fat. Yeah. And uh, I think when I was about 16, um, when I was about 15, uh, when I met the Shade of Punjab block, they obviously put me down the right track. And I started training. And I started, my bench press just shot up. You know what I mean? In the space of six months. And, you know, I was curling like 100 kilos. It was mad. And um, that's when I started taking it to another level. Yeah. I started taking the steroids. Hence where the name injection come from. Like the most, like on average, when a person takes steroids, you'll take about maybe one, maximum, maybe even two injections a week. I was taking seven injections a day. Why? So, it's crazy. Yeah, you can imagine, like, it was a lot. No, no wonder you're going absolutely crazy. I was getting, yeah. So not, not only do you naturally have natural testosterone in your body and you're full of aggression, but imagine all of that testosterone. Like, it wasn't, it was a lot, a lot of testosterone. You know what I mean? It was an equivalent mm. of about 20 people I was taking in my body. And you can imagine all that anger, that aggression. I'd, I'd wake up in the morning. And it's like I was saying to you, like, I'd wake up in the morning. And first thing I wanted to do is like, like, you know, most people, they get the jewelry on and this and that. They get the gel and all that. Nah, first thing I do, I get my knuckle dusters. I put them in my pocket. I choose what blade I'm going to have. And I put that in my pocket, yeah, you know, and I, I have a few other bits and bobs. And that was me ready for the day. You know what I'm saying? And I still do my thing. I still go to work. I, I still go to school or whatever I had to do. I still have done my normal stuff. That never changed. You know what I mean? I've always been the type of person that's always worked. Always. Like, I've made a lot of money, bro, over the years. A hell of a lot of money doing silly things. But one thing I've learned in life is when you're making money like that, as easy as it comes, it will go that quick as well. And I made that choice, collective choice, to not go down that route of making that money that way. I can, I can still tomorrow, if I picked up the phone and I can do something where I'll just make a hundred grand just like that. But I choose not to go down that route, you understand? So I'd just rather just make my money the legitimate way and that's it. But there was a lot of money being made back in the days, man. A lot, a lot of money. Did so you've always been doing legit stuff like I said from leaving school, but you're yeah. also committing crime as well. Could you cite on what sort of crimes were you a game drug dealing? Obviously, of what happened with family members. Yeah, so would you in the early like? ages it was it was drug dealing. So we were against all that. Yeah. Then what happened is over the years, and I'm sure a lot of people that are in their thirties and forties now, Asians especially in the UK, would understand what I'm talking about. So they came to this point, yeah, uh, came to this point where, you know like how in universities you've got gigs being played, you've got uh, clubs and they do all this, like every so often they do a Bangor gig, so they will get loads of um, uh, Indian performing artists and they do a gig and they do a lot of those around. What had happened is we had a big problem back in the days and I'm not saying all Muslims are like this, but there was a set group of Muslims at the time who thought it would be a good idea to go into all the clubs where all the uh, Asians were, universities and stuff, and beat the shit out of anybody wearing a bangle, or they had a turban, or they had um, a top knot, right? People say top knots. Um, 
they beat them and, and they keep doing it until the word got out that if you're a Sikh, you can't go to places like this because you'll get done. So what ended up happening is the Sikh boys stopped going, but the women were still going. Now, what that meant was it was fucking, it was an open market, wasn't it? For, the, for these fellas that were going around doing this because now they've got all of these women and they, if those women are looking for guys, they're going to go for these guys because the Sikhs are all gone now. So, because at that time there was a big thing we were dealing with which was conversion and they were going around trying to groom these girls and stuff and, and that was what these guys were trying to do. So, we thought, okay, nobody else is going to do anything about this. And this is why people say to me to this day, why do you always get involved in other people's business? Why do you always feel that you have to take the law in your own hands? Even then, we've done this. The police weren't going to do nothing. So what we thought is, okay, cool. We're going to go to all these gigs where all these guys are and we're going to do exactly the same. We're going to chop them up. And this is what we were doing. Axes, machetes, all sorts, flick knives, not the rest. We're walking. The first thing we're going to do, we wouldn't dance. To this day, I've probably been probably over three, four hundred gigs, maybe even more. I've never ever met a girl in a club because we never used to go for that. We'd walk in there and we'd stand around like this, just looking around, just scoping everyone, scoping every single person. And I'd find a group or I'd find the biggest guy. The first thing I'd do, I wouldn't even discuss it with my pals. There would be about 30, 40 of us. I wouldn't even discuss it with them. I'll go straight out to them, straight knuckle duster in the mouth, yeah? Pull out the axe, start chopping them up, yeah? And that's it, we'll move on to the next one. In a night, we'll do about two, three, and we kept doing it, kept doing it. Then what we thought is what we'll do is, this isn't working. The only thing to do is to stop the gigs from happening. So we started talking to the promoters and said, listen, you're not doing any more gigs like this. They were like, yeah, yeah, whatever, you know, all that bullshit. Thought, we're not gonna take this seriously, yeah? Then, this is not myself now, yeah, for record's sake, this is, I had nothing to do with this, but people's houses, cars started getting petrobombed, and uh, these people now obviously started to take things seriously. They started, stop, they started stopping all the gigs. There was no gigs. Going from where there was hundreds of gigs a year, there was no gigs happening in the UK, yeah? And, um, and that was down to us. And then... Uh, to us that we thought it was a victory, you understand? And then um, from then onwards, obviously now, we've got that buzz now. We're hurting people, we're doing crimes. We thought, let's make it good use, start making money. Where the name was made now, we started taxing people. We started kidnapping people. Like in a week, we'd kidnap one, two people. That was weekly. We did get kidnapped and we'll kidnap them. We wouldn't, we wouldn't ask them for money first. We tortured them for about two or three days. After we've tortured them, we tortured them so bad, then we'll say, this is what we want. And they were so fed up of being hurt, they just said, listen, just take whatever you want. And you know, it, it was just mad. The way we were doing things, every time we'd torture someone, we'd figure out a new way, which was more painful and more exciting for us to use on the, other, on the victim. It was, it, was, it was becoming sick. You understand? And, and that's what happens when you're in a group of people where every person that is there is egging you on and they're all on the same flex. You're not going to sit there at one point and think what I'm doing is wrong because it's the norm. Do you understand? There's a lot of peer pressure on the people that you're with are all doing the same thing. You're just hurting people. You just want to be better than the rest of them and you want to hurt someone more than the rest of them 
because it makes you look better. And with me, in within the crew, I was always known for being the wild card. I was the crazy one. So it just always felt normal for me to always do one thing that was always above everyone else. Mm. Not that that was, that was my intention. It wasn't planned. It just always used to happen. You know what I mean? I'd always do crazy things because to me, basic wasn't enough. Like if I'd go into a place and we're going to go, if we still, like sometimes it'd be me and just my mate and we bump into someone and there's about 10, 15 of them. Any other guy will walk away. I'd be like, nah, let's fucking do them. You know what I mean? It was just normal for us. You know what I'm saying? Crazy. And so obviously, um, I know that you ended up going to jail eventually for kidnapping. Um, should we talk about the circumstance of that? Like it was exactly like you said. Well, I've probably been to prison, probably. <sighs> so this wasn't was it your time. first time going to jail with a kidnapping thing, or had you been? No, I've been to prison stupid amounts of times. I can't even count. It was ridiculous. Yeah. But every time I go into uh, the police station, I get nicked. They started reminding me. They remind me for a couple of days, or within a couple of days, while they actually got me in the police station, the charges will get dropped. Or while I'm in prison, on remand, the charges will get dropped. And that's the one thing that the police don't like, because when that starts happening, the police think you're above the law. Then you end up having a personal vendetta against the police, because yeah. they think he keeps getting away. We're going to do it. He's had over 200 cases put on him. Every single case he's got away with it, case has been dropped. Why is that? Is it because they're scared of him? You understand? And then they go out of their way to do you. But um, yeah, I think the first, I've had a few, I've been inside a few times, but the first uh, big stretch I had was for uh, kidnapping, um, firearms, uh, GBH, um, and a few other bits and bobs, blackmail. Yeah. So yeah. As always, there's a drug dealer that got kidnapped for money or? Uh, I'd, I'd rather not talk about that. Okay. It's, it's in the past. Of course. So how long did you end up getting there on that serious case there? Um, I was looking at double figures, to be honest yeah. with you. I was looking at about 18 years, and uh, something had happened within the case, which I'd rather not talk about again, which ended up uh, in my favour, and the judge basically gave us the minimum, which was six years. Mm. That was the minimum. Jesus. And so, um, how about, obviously, you said you'd been in jail numerous times before, for little bits, and obviously it hadn't put you off enough to obviously stop committing serious crimes. They were all serious crimes. Yeah, but you ended up getting off them. As but such. we ended up getting off. They were all kidnappings, um, people being stabbed, hammered in, hammered <coughs> in the head, broken bones, all mm. sorts, you name it. Obviously, so, you know when you, you, when you went to jail, um, how was it for you in jail? Obviously, I've unfortunately went to jail before and it was a massive Muslim presence within the jail. Mm. And obviously, you talked about, obviously, a lot of conflicts between Sikhs and Muslims. Mm. Like, how would it be for a Sikh judge? Yeah, you know what it is, well, we never had a direct problem with Muslims, and I never, I still don't, you understand? Our problem was with people that were going against the whole conversion thing with the women. So it was a group of guys that we had a personal vendetta against. Yeah. Yes, but when we were in prison, yeah, there was a lot of Muslims um, in there. And you see what it is, is I believe that, look, there is a lot of people in prison, a hell of a lot of people that are living their lives, they're like dead-end lives. Does that make sense? There's, they have no hope, they have no future. And if religion gives them that hope, whether it is you've been a Sikh, Christian, Hindu, Muslim, so be it. If it makes them into a better person, then so be it. But what ended up happening in prison, a lot of the prisons I went to, a lot of these 
so-called newly um, converts, or they say reverts, um, they were telling the Imam how to practice a religion. And they were saying, you don't know, this is what we're supposed to do. So when it starts to get to that point, that's when you know that, look mate, you guys clearly don't know what you're talking about. Maybe you should just step back and try to take in the information rather than giving out the information that you haven't even really understood yet. Yeah. You understand if that makes sense. But that's what was happening. But Bob Prison was, he said, for me, it was okay because within the, within the prison system, everybody knew me. Um, my first prison sentence, I bumped into my uncle there. So I was, I was okay, man. I was like really good. And like the governors, everyone, they all knew him. You know, they got to know me through them. And then what ended up happening was I ended up making my own personal relationship with the prison officers. Because um, I don't know if you remember, at that time, going back about 20 years ago, all the prison systems, the whole prison system within the UK was being investigated because the prison officers were going around beating up, badly beating up the prison of, uh, prisoners. And I think one or two of them even died. Yeah. And uh, so they were under the investigation. They started putting up all these cameras everywhere and all sorts. And so what happened is they couldn't patch anyone. So when we were working on the surgery, what would happen is people would come in. A lot of the rasters would come in. And the rasters, what they'd do is they'd like to stay awake till late. And then in the morning, they'd be asleep until lunchtime, yeah? So when you had the night before, you get given your ticket, your meal ticket, yeah? For the whole week, you fill it in and needs to be in by 11 o'clock the next morning. They'd forget because they'd still be in bed. So if you don't fill it in, you'll automatically go on to meal number two, which is a basic meal, yeah? And so what happened is, come food time, they'd come, give the name, meal number two. And then they started doing all that, you what they all that shit yeah and, oh, I don't want this shit and fucking you pour them the food they throw the fucking food in our face and then they kick off yeah so what started happening is there'd always be a prison officer there they'd start seeing that every time someone throws a fucking plate at us literally fucking the next day they'd be in their cell with a fucking chili sauce bottle in the neck and that time there was no sharp objects in prison the only thing we had sharp was an encona bottle yeah, yeah so you break the encona bottle yeah. and boom yeah so then what started happening is um, they started putting notes under my door. And this would be about eight, nine o'clock at night when everyone's banged up. So I'm thinking, what's going on? There's a note there. It'll be a name and a cell number and a landing, yeah? So I'm thinking, okay. It happened two, three times. I thought nothing of it, yeah? Then I spoke to one of my pals who was quite a, uh, a well-known drug dealer. And he goes to me, look, bro, he goes, this is what's going on. He goes, I found out from a few other people that, look, they want you to start dealing with the, the guys for them, that, that people that they've got a personal problem with that they can't deal with. So sometimes these guys will go up to them and start spitting on the screws. Yeah. And the screws can't do nothing because they've been watched, yeah? But they wanted to get them back. And so what they started doing, they started doing this for me. So I thought, you know what, let me just trial it out. So me and my few of my pals went to one of the guys, one guy outside, we went inside, pillow cover over the head, Stabbed him up in his fucking face, just left him there, chipped. Next day, everyone's banged up at 7.30. They've come in, opened that door at 9 o'clock. Fucking let us out on the land, didn't it? Olivia were playing pool and shit, everyone's fucking locked up. Yeah, I was like, okay, cool. We started doing it again and again and again. 
we got a PlayStation in that prison. So at that time, there was no PlayStations. We got a PlayStation in there. We had a mobile phone that they knew about, they didn't check. We had a VHS recorder in there. There was only one VHS recorder in the whole prison. And that was in the library. You had to rent it out, yeah? And they had movies in there that you could rent out, right? So people didn't know that. What these officers done is jack the VHS recorder and they gave it to us. So what we would do is every time on Sundays when EastEnders would be on, right, the omnibus, we'd put it on for recording, yeah, and we'd go on the server, yeah, we'd be serving all the people, and we'd be out doing our bits and bobs, and we'd come back, and then we'd watch movies. Yeah. And every Friday night, there'd be an Indian movie that would come on, like, two in the morning, we'd record that, and go to sleep, and, you know, we, we had it good. We had it very, very good. That's what um, an organisation like the Shere Punjab is for, to sort of protect... Yeah, so the Shere Punjab means... Shere means lions. Punjab is obviously where we come from. Yeah. It's, um... It's uh, a place in India where majority of the Sikhs are from. Yeah. So obviously it means, the name is Lions of Punjab. And um, it was originally the name of an army that our king had. So we had a king in, uh, uh, in India back in the days. He was a ruler of India. This is before the British took over. And um, his army was called the Shere Punjab. He was the same guy. You know the, the queen wears her crown? In there is a big diamond. It's now been split into three. That was his diamond, basically. It's the biggest diamond in the world. And he basically owned that. You can imagine how much money he had. Uh, he unfortunately obviously passed away. And, um, but yeah, so it was his army. And that's what they've done. They're protected. Sikhs have always done that for hundreds and hundreds of years. Like, going back 300, 350, 400 years ago, when um, we originally went to war, with the Mughals, it wasn't even our problem. It was a problem between the Hindus and the Muslims. We just help them, because that's what we do. If somebody's in trouble, we help. That is who we, that's what we do. It doesn't matter what religion you're from, what faith you're from. If you're in trouble and we're walking past, we're not the type of people that are just gonna walk past and let it happen. We're gonna stop and we're gonna, we're gonna get it sorted. Yeah, that's uh, obviously very commendable um, mm -hmm. street. And so, obviously, within this country, I've heard that obviously the Shia Punjab was started as a permanent organisation within this mm -hmm. country, and there's been some sort of conflicts over the years between, obviously, the Shia Punjab, your part, is it a national thing or a London thing or South yeah. Well, we're pretty much national, um, so we've got guys all the way up north, mm -hmm. but yes, there is um, uh, an organisation in, in Birmingham. See, they originally started off in the 80s, yeah. and uh, the guys that started it off, Hats off to them, because they've done an awesome job. Very, very good job. Um, there was uh, there was uh, lady Indian ladies going around being robbed on a daily basis for their gold. Because you know, Asian ladies, they like to wear gold. Cool. It's just it's just the way it's been for loads and loads of years, right? And there was a lot of people, a lot of drug dealers, a lot of uh, druggies. Um, uh, unfortunately, there was a town close by which the majority of the population were black. Um, the guys there were, they thought it was a good idea to rob all the ladies, Asian ladies. So the Asian ladies were being robbed. The guys at the time, the Sikh guys at the time, thought something needed to be done about it. They created a, a gang called the Shere Pajab, an organization, and they were patrolling the streets, making sure that everything was sorted. And then if they did catch anyone doing anything, they'd deal with it. So yeah, hats off to the guys. They've done a good job over the years. Things died down, they got married, they moved on and you know, everything was cool. And then obviously the younger generation started it up again. 
in Birmingham and Midlands. Um, but the way they work is very different to the way I work. Um, as you guys have probably seen, there's been hundreds, hundreds of cases which I've dealt with over the last few years. And um, I think life itself, the world itself, the way it's now changing, you can't do things how you used to do back in the days. Back in the days, I'll go up to the guy and I'll just fucking, I'll carve him up, you know, and, and that's it. So if we had stuck to that route, I'd probably be in that prison for the rest of my life. So what we thought is the best way to do it is they've done wrong, let's publicly humiliate them. Yeah. So we were making these people publicly apologize in front of everyone, in front of the whole world. And we were getting results. We were getting answers. These people had no choice. What happened behind closed doors, behind the scenes, then that's a different story. Now, the I reasons have, why they... That when I've seen some of the videos. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You can tell half of the guys, they're shaking oh, in their pants when they're speaking. <laughs> but, um, you know, um, I don't know where they got the bruises from. That's got nothing to do with me, though. Yeah. But, you know, we got results and we made things happen. Um, and I think a lot of the guys from Birmingham Midlands, they saw that as a threat. Mm. So they started um, printing out fake letters and saying, this guy's got nothing to do with Shere Punjab, as if they own Shere Punjab, right? And, um, but now, it's like when you hear the name Shere Punjab, it's associated with myself. Everybody knows me and my family here, my brothers here. Um, we do everything here. And a lot of the guys, like I said before, they're businessmen. Some of them are hard criminals, you know, so they don't really want to put their face in front of the camera. Um, but there's a lot of us, man. There's a lot of us. And when I mean we are connected to, in so many ways, I can't even mention on it, but the, our branches go quite far out. Mm, indeed. So it's a shame, that obviously, that where there is this sort of envy or jealousy or mm. whatever it is that's created the conflict. It's a shame because we could have worked together. And you're all just trying to do the yeah. greater good for mm -hmm. the Sikh community. Mm. Um, so it's a shame. Has it ever got serious between you guys, between you and the Berman ones? Nah, just a few words exchanged. But apart from that, it's nothing. Everyone, you know what it is? Is there's bigger problems out there to deal with, apart from silly things like, oh, you got more of a name than me, or you're doing this and we're not doing this. You understand what I'm saying? There's bigger problems out there. So we just, well, that's my personal opinion anyway. So you know, I'm not too worried about that. I just, I just felt that you know what they've done was a bit of a petty thing try and make a false letter out. I mean, desperate times in it, I guess so. Um, but it didn't really work, you know, because what I've told people is from day one, is look, you guys can chat as much shit as, about me as, as you want, spread as many rumors as you want, it don't make a difference to me. It honestly don't make a difference, you know why? Because my work will still carry on. Tomorrow, your family members are walking down the street and they're getting harassed by a group of guys, drunk guys or something like that. Do you think I'm going to think first about what the public's going to think, or do you think I'm going to stop it? I'm going to, I'm going to pop my car, I'm going to get out, I'm going to smash their heads in. Then I'm going to think about that. You understand what I'm saying? Because that's how we do it. You don't, you still, look, it's in your blood, isn't it? When it's in your blood, you will still protect, because that's just the way you are. When you've got that warrior blood, when you've got those warrior genetics, you will do what you have to do, because it's natural. A lion will naturally roar, because it's in him. You understand? He's not going to bark. You understand what I'm saying? So it's just it's just it's just in our bloodline. Yeah, so from your actions it's obviously clear that you are Shia Punjab and you yeah. are doing the greater good and protecting obviously mm. the Sikh community. Um so obviously previously you've mentioned obviously you committed 
serious and horrific acts of violence, but at certain ends of times, obviously you've been on the wrong side of it. Um, mm. I've had you mentioned before you've ended up being shot a couple of times before. It's all part of the game, bro. I've been shot. I've been shot twice. Um, Is that the same occasion or two separate occasions? Uh, same occasion. Yeah. Um, I've uh, someone's attempted to try and shoot me. The second occasion, I've had people trying to stab me out, trying to do all sorts. And um, but you know what it is? Is a lot of the times these people are paid help. Yeah. They don't know who I am. Once they obviously find out, and I think it's got to another level, then obviously phone calls, messages, middlemen start getting involved, and they're like, "Look, we don't want to know." We don't want nothing to do with this. This is why we were involved, blah, blah, blah. But even with my case, when I got shot, um, they were probably expecting this guy to just take the shots and he's going to be lying there in a pool of blood. Little did they know that over here, I'm too smart. I've played with guns my whole life. So I know exactly how many bullets the guy had. Because I could tell by looking at the, at the uh, strap that he had. So he's let off with two shots. One's gone in my leg. The other's gone past me. As I've slammed the door, there's an axe there. I've picked up the axe. I've gone straight for the guy. He wasn't even expecting it. He's happily just walking up the driveway, thinking everything's all cool. Anyway, police have obviously come. Um, by that time, I've obviously left the guy there. I've gone inside. By the time the police have come, 20 minutes later, um, he's gone. The DNA's there. So obviously they've got him banned to rights. And the guys were so stupid, they actually went and rented out of a legitimate vehicle to do a shooting. Like, come on, at least take the number plates off another vehicle on the way, innit? Go, you're driving past, even on my street, nick the fucking number plates off another vehicle, stick them on yours. They've gone and legitimately rented out a vehicle, come and done the shooting, yeah? They've topped up their phones on the way and all sorts of that, yeah? So they've got them banked rights. They've got their DNA on my fucking driveway, yeah? They've got them on camera when I've ripped the guy's mask off, so they're pretty much done, you understand? Um, so I, I don't really have to do much. They got found guilty and then that's about it. But I think what the funniest part was when, when I was in custody now, they didn't take me to the hospital. I'd been shot. They didn't take me to the hospital. They kept me 24 hours. They kept me in the cells. You'd think this guy's been shot, yeah? You'd think he would take me to the hospital. They didn't do that. They kept me there, which has actually worked in my favor because what happened is I didn't have no phone, no nothing. Now, this had happened 10 o'clock at night. Six o'clock in the morning, the next day, apparently the guy who was, who had given my address, this is from what I've been told by the police, right? The guy that had given my address was six o'clock in the morning outside a newsagent's, drinking a cup of coffee, reading a newspaper. Someone's knocked on his window, he's up at the window, they've sliced his throat. Now, obviously that's got nothing to do with me. If somebody or one of my brothers decided to take the matter in their own hands, that's nothing to do with me. I'm not held responsible for their actions. I've got a lot of people that watch my back. I've got a lot of people that are overprotective of me and um, they will do what it needs to they will do what they need to do mm. to, to watch my back. And um, yeah, that case was pretty much dealt with. Mm. So obviously you've mentioned Obviously, stuff like this happening, and then obviously in the past, with lots of cases, serious cases, we end up getting dropped against you. Mm. And obviously, this must have made obviously, the police realise that obviously you're a very powerful mm. guy within the Asian community and obviously within the great community mm. as well. Um, obviously, I'm sure this made, must create a slight agenda against you. But was there police harassment and surveillance and operations against you? Has there been over the mm. years where you've. Bro, you want to talk about operations, yeah? 
Well, I'm gonna tell you a little something, and you tell me if this is normal. So, at that time in 2021, I was on the run for attempted murder. And um, when most people, they go on the run, they're low key, undercover, staying, like nobody recognizes them, trying to keep proper low key, yeah? When I went on the run, I took about 30 guys with me. So when we went, we all went together. We were all going different places and we were together, yeah? As a family. And we ended up in Gravesend. Now Gravesend was the first Asian populated town, I believe, in the UK. Now, their community is very small, very tight. Well, actually no, a lot of Asians there, but when I mean, I don't mean it's small, but it's very connected, very tight, yeah? So, um, they've gone there. These people have never gone to the police. Every time there's a problem, it's always dealt in-house. So suddenly, we've come there. All their so-called known gangsters, people that they've been scared of for the last God knows how many years, suddenly they were being chased out of town with choppers, machetes, swords, guns, you name it. And they hadn't seen anything like this. They're thinking, who the hell are these guys? The only name that they could hear was injection. Injection, injection all the time, yeah? Because I was the most aggressive, violent one out there. And you'd think I'm on the run, I'd be keeping my head down. I was going nuts. I didn't give a shit. The police, no word of a lie, yeah? The police set up a special team. A special team, yeah? Um, just for us. So there was a special call center, the call line set up. They were, put, they were holding meetings in the Sikh temple for victims, our victims to come forward, saying, look, we know you guys are afraid and you like dealing with things in house. Look, come to us, we will help you, we will protect you, yeah? Stand up against these people because they will keep doing these crimes. They had a special helpline set up for the victims. Any information regarding these guys, call this number, yeah? They had um, posters stuck up on uh, lampposts you name it, everything. They went full out. Like the main inspector of Kent, he was moved to Gravesend just to deal with us. And that is, you can imagine the seriousness of just 30 of us. And they knew I was on the run, mm. but they never need me. You know what I'm saying? And so, was it stuff like this that made you sort of turn your back on the life of crime and stuff like this? Or was it getting shot? Or was it just for the, the greater good, whether it's like religious and your faith well, you know, becoming still part of your life. Everyone goes through a certain time, a point in their life when they realize that the things they are doing need to be slightly changed about a bit. And um, I went through a point in my life uh, about eight, nine years ago when I realized that I had to change my ways. Um, a lot of people probably already know why um, because of my documentaries, but at the moment I don't think I'm ready to talk about it now. Um, but yeah, I decided to change my ways. And um, so, without touching, sorry to interrupt you, on what it was, but you sank into a bit of depression, is that correct? I, I, times? Yeah, um, somebody close to me had passed away, and um, to me, um, I went into some severe depression. Um, I was suicidal, um, I wanted to hurt people, and uh, I realised that um, rather than making more people around you upset, don't let that person's life go to waste, the one that's passed away. So try and um, do what you can to make that person proud that's watching over you. 
So I decided to change my ways. I decided to help people. And I decided that I can still be that line, but instead of biting every fucker's head off, let's just bite off the people's heads that we that deserve to be bitten off. And um, I decided to focus my energy on the bad. So what I ended up doing, I ended up, uh, anybody that I felt was bigger and better than me, I'd take them down. But then I was like that from a young age. If I felt somebody was in front of me and I thought he had a bit of a name, I'd fuck that guy up. Because to me, I'd need to show him that I'm superior. And I still started doing that, but it wasn't just for the, for, for no reason. These were people that, I, the people that I was dealing with were drug dealers. They were um, proper full-time criminals, um, people that were doing wrong, you know, um, wife beaters, girlfriend beaters, uh, people that were uh, knocking people for other money, um, uh, all sorts, you name it. Like every single crime you could possibly think of, people that were even doing conversions, um, grooming, you name it. We were sticking it on people. Like even down to silly things like, for example, recently I think these videos went quite public, um, viral on social media where there were people that were drinking within the Sikh temple, in the grounds of the Sikh temple. And um, nobody done anything about it. Everyone's talking about it on social media. Oh, these things need to be done, that needs to be done. And I'm looking, I'm thinking, oh, fucking, to me that's fucking like piss easy, isn't it? That's like walking apart from me. So I just fucking found out who the guy was, we went down to his yard, paid him a little visit, and uh, next thing you know, he's made him a video. He made a video apologising, yeah? Um, all the other guys involved, they all made videos apologising as well. And these are the same people that were saying, fuck you, we're not apologising for shit. And um, then there's been a few other cases like that that we've done, and to be honest with you, it's probably more stressful for me in the morning to go downstairs and make my breakfast and eat it than it is for me to fucking get this shit done. Because it's literally just pick up the phone, I stick it on the guys and the job's done. That's it. But to the world, to the public, it was like, wow, who's this guy? It is, it's good, it's commendable because a lot of people won't go out their way yeah. to put themselves in this situation. But they don't realise that. The problem is if it gets left today, it carries on tomorrow. It's going to carry on, exactly. But what they don't realise is what they are seeing is fucking hardly anything. This is the stuff that we can legally put onto social media without fucking getting nicked. Yeah. But the stuff that's going on behind closed doors, I can't put that on here. Can if they imagine. were to see half of the shit that I'm doing, they'd be like, fuck, you know, this guy's going nuts. He's on another level. Yeah. You understand? So obviously I can only go by what I can put on there. You understand? Mm. <clears throat> and um, so obviously you're covered in tattoos as well. Um, you mentioned obviously off camera that was that something that sort of helped you come out of depression your tattoos for a reason rather than um talk to me about the reasons by why you got okay tattoos. so you hear about people when they're going through depression yeah they cut their own wrists the reason for for that is um pain they want to feel the pain you understand i guess it was a choice of cutting my own wrists or getting the ink done you know so every so often i'd be in there and I'd be getting inked up because I was just sitting there and I'd be going through the pain and I had to go through the pain. And um, that was my way out, you understand? I wasn't gonna sit there, I'm not gonna cut my wrist, but to me, this way it was, it was my way out. And every single tattoo that I've got on me reminds me of my past, reminds me of um, life and death, um, reminds me of how lucky I'm here to be alive, um, 
a lot, a lot of things, man. A lot of things. It's pretty much just my life. It, it is on my body. And when I look in the mirror, I don't see, oh, I think that tattoo looks good, man. Like, yeah, that's wicked. I see, I look at them, and I, I think, I remember when I made that, and I remember what was going through my head at the time when I done that. And it reminds me of trying to stay, fo how I need to stay focused. Absolutely. And so, uh, all your troubles and all your crime, is, all this sort of life and all that bad stuff, is that all behind you? There's not going to get any more prison sentences or any more troubles, hopefully? Well, can I can't say what's written in the future, yeah? But all I can say is, I will keep doing what I've got to do. I will still keep helping the people that I need to help. And if it means I've got to go to prison for that, then so be it. Mm. But I will try my best to try and keep helping people. Um, obviously within the law, let's just say. And um, I mean, the last thing anyone wants to do is go in prison. You go in prison, what are you going to do? You're useless to anybody. You can't do anything. You understand? So my aim is obviously to try and stay out here, stay focused and try and help as many people as I can. Um, there's a lot of people that I help that I don't publicize it on TV because these people don't want other people to find out. You know, things that I do, like, I'll give you an example, it was only just a few days ago. Um, I think it was uh, during lunchtime. I thought, let me just quickly pop out getting some food. Just happened to check my messages got a message from someone who was saying they got basically knocked by this guy and he'd done it for five grand here and there. And um, I was like, okay. So something made me reply, reply back, okay, where's the guy from? They go, this is who he is, this is where he is. I was like, all right, cool. So like looking at the time, how much time I've got. Literally just drove up there, 10 minutes down the road, went and stuck it on the guy, yeah, told him he had to pay the money. He paid the, he paid the money, got it all sorted. But it was literally like a five minute thing. But you know what I mean? Where most people are sitting, oh, he's probably sitting there having his lunch. This is what I'm doing whenever I've got free time. Sometimes I'm driving around to four or five o'clock in the morning to try and help people going here and there. You know, recently, most recently, I've, I've helped a lot, a lot of people um, who have hit that hit that track where they just want to um, they want to end it all. They want to take their lives, and um, it just happened to be that they didn't get in touch with me because that was the main reason. Fate just brought us together, and I've done whatever I could do to save those lives, and I did. Mm. You understand? And to me, that is that's a result. Of course. And so, um, obviously, I've seen you try to do a lot, obviously, uh, within the religious stuff, obviously, trying to get donations and investment within the Sikh community, within uh, the place of worship. And I know that there's been issues with you when you said that you were in Crawley before, and there's issues. Um, obviously, there's a lot of politics in the religion stuff that goes well, I've on. I've given up when it comes to politics. Like, when I was in Crawley, I'd done so much to try and help the Sikh temple there. Um, these people, everyone, no matter what, wherever you go, it's just using and abusing it. You know, um, even in Southall, I've tried to set up gyms here for the youth, you know, try to get donations from people, you know, put money from our own pockets, try to set things up for, for the youth. Um, but when these certain members of the communities, of the temples, they want votes. They will lick us. As soon as they've won the elections and they've got the votes, then it's like, see later. So I've got to that point now where I'm, I'm staying away from all that shit. Mm. I just do all my shit and I just leave the politics for the politicians. Of course. And um, earlier you mentioned uh, sort of girls getting converted. Obviously you've got a problem with that in the way that it was doing before where they were beating up mm. Sikh boys and so they, at the dance. That's understandable. 
In terms of mixed marriages, mm. what's your feeling on the mixed marriage situation? So, you know, that is a bit of a sore subject, yeah? Um, I ain't really got a problem with mixed marriages, okay? If somebody wants to go and get married to a, uh, someone from another religion, another faith, they want to get married to a fucking dog or a horse or a fucking crocodile, I don't give a shit, to be honest with you. Um, what I do believe is that when you're in a faith, you're, you are born in a particular religion. Either follow that religion or don't. You can't call yourself a Sikh if you're not going to follow or try to follow um, it as much as you can. Now, I'm not a perfect Sikh, but I try and follow it as much as I can. Um, I'll give an example. So, you've got the Vatican, yeah? The Vatican is a place of worship where, where decisions are made there and everybody in that religion now has to accept that decision because that is final, right or wrong, yeah? When a decision is made in the Vatican, it's final. So we have something similar, which is called the Akal Takht, which means the highest throne, and that is the building that surrounds the Golden Temple. Now, in the Akal Takht, there was a decision made quite some many years back that if you are not both from the same faith, both Sikhs, you cannot get married in the temple. Now, there's nothing stopping you from having a court marriage. I ain't got a problem. If you if you want to have a court marriage, you can have a court marriage. It's not a problem. But the way I see it is, how can you call yourself a Sikh? How can you go and have the religious ceremony done when the people who are in charge of the religious ceremony saying that you're not allowed to do it? That it's banned. You understand? And the reason for that is, like I was speaking to you earlier on, if you're standing in court and let's just say myself, a Sikh, stands in court and I'm going to be a witness or I'm being questioned or whatever, they bring the Bible out in front of me. And obviously you've got to put your hand on the Bible and you've got, to, you've got to solemnly swear that everything you say is the truth and nothing but the truth. Now, if I was a Sikh, they'd obviously bring my religious book, right? They'd bring the Guru Granth Sahib or the Gurdjie, right? And we'd put a hand on that. If you're a Christian, they'll obviously bring the Bible. So, if somebody's a Christian, they're not going to bring my religious book and give it to their mother. Because for that person, for you to, for example, put your hand on my religious book and swear, it wouldn't mean nothing to you, right? Because what is that book to you? It's nothing. You understand what I'm saying? So, when you're going to go and do a religious ceremony in a place of worship, that means nothing to you. And those words that they are reciting mean nothing to you. How can that ritual, how can that wedding mean anything to you when the words and that place of worship mean nothing to you. Mm. So this is what they're trying to say is that you, whether you've converted into Sikhism or anything like that is different, but unless you are both Sikh, that ceremony is void. It's irrelevant. It won't, it won't mean anything. It can't happen even. Mm. You understand? So for you to actually, if you want to get married, you can get married. No one will stop you from getting married, but just go and do it in the court marriage. You understand yes. what I'm saying? So that's, that's my personal, that's my personal opinion anyway. That's fair enough, it sounds mm. like. And so, um, generally talking about your life today, sort of where you are at the moment in your life, um, are you happy in your life today? Oh, I'm very happy. <laughs> I'm the happiest I've been in a long time. Um, so um, talk to me about your life today in terms of you in a relationship. You... So, physically, I've been the fittest 
that I have been, yes. That I've been, um, mentally, I've been the healthiest I've ever been. Um, financially, I am very stable, I'm comfortable. Family life, everything, love life, everything is just perfect. I can't ask for anything more. Um, so there's been times in my past where I have gone through a lot of stress and I haven't been able to deal with that stress. And um, But I think I've mentally prepared myself to not allow things to get to me and to deal with things in a lot positive way. I think at that time I was, um, not only was I um, pushing out negative energy, but I was taking in a lot of negative energy as well. And now I just try to stay away from negative energy. I try to bring as much positive energy as possible and I try giving that as much positive energy as well. That's what it's all about. And so, so what businesses are you involved in or what do you do to support yourself? Um, I'd rather not say. Okay, fair enough. And so, and then generally, talking about Southall, what's the situation in Southall at the moment? Is it in a good place? Is there a lot of problems with drugs? Are you having to sort out lots of problems with the ship and jab? Um, See, the problems we have in Southall are quite small. Um, I'm getting a lot, a lot of problems from up north, from Midlands area. Um, that is the main places where I'm getting them from, but and I'm the, on the outskirts of London as well. Um, Southall is not really much of a problem. I think people, they, there is a lot of... Um, there is a lot of uh, well-established people within our organisation that are from this area as well. So it's not always down to me. I don't always just get the messages from people. Um, sometimes through third parties, these guys are contacted and they deal with their problems. Yeah. And so obviously in the past, obviously you were living a strong criminal lifestyle. Like, would you at those times there consider yourself a gangster? Okay, so... What is a gangster? I don't know. Um, let's talk about other gangsters, yeah, for a change. So, you've got gangsters who call themselves gangsters. They all end up in problems eventually. Every gangster will end up in a problem eventually that is too big for them to deal with. Now, the problems that they can deal with themselves, they will deal with, hence why they're gangsters. But they will come to a point where they will come across a problem which is too big for them to handle. Now what normally tends to happen in a situation like this is they always contact me. So if they are gangsters and now they come to a point where they've come across a situation which they can't handle, only I can handle. So what does that make me then? I'll let you decide that one. Are you a a changed man from this, you know, where you change your ways, you become a lot more religious, a man of faith, um, mm. someone who's less willing to resort to violence, deals with problems in a more positive way. Mm. Would that make you sort of weaker, per se, within? Let me answer your question, yeah. Obviously, before I say anything, I don't believe it does, but you know, yeah. per se, within the sick community or certain things, mm. where you're not that same man who's going to go around and do the same sort of acts as before, mm. would people perceive you to be? People can think what they want, to be honest with you. But answering your question, if you have a lion, yeah, and you've got this lion and you've caught him from the jungle, and he's a wild animal, he'll kill anyone that comes in his way, yeah, and you've spent the next couple of years taming this lion and you've trained him up to become a house cat, yeah, you've trained him up very well and he's good with the family, he's good with everyone, yeah, 
has he still got that capability to kill someone? Right or wrong, he has, isn't it? Definitely. So no matter how much I calm myself down, push comes to shove, I still I'll still deal what I would deal with whatever I have to deal with. Absolutely. And so obviously looking at the size of you, obviously training is obviously a massive part of your life still to this day. Um, you look in great shape. And I've seen obviously you just put up a post, you've got a competition on December eleventh, yeah. is it? Derby, uh, and and this is Seek uh, yeah. weightlifting, powerlifting yeah, competition. It's one of the biggest in the country, and um, we're basically um, uh, the the boys from the gym there. They've organised this event. It's amazing. These guys do a great job, great job for charity. You want to see that gym? It's on another level. But every year we try and do some kind of thing, uh, event, whether it's a football tournament, yep. or whether it's uh, like I think we're doing one on the sixteenth of December, which is a, a dumbbell um, challenge. Yep. For men and women, um, and where's that? Is that going to be in Southall or something? That's going to be in Southall, sixteenth uh, of December, in um, everyone active in Southall. Um, you know, we've tried to keep it as simple as possible. So whatever your body weight is, you're only lifting twenty percent of your body weight, Brilliant. and you're just you're just repping that. We done last time one which was for dips um, on uh, the um, on the dip frame, as many dips as you can do. Uh, we've done bench press competitions, squat competitions. You name it. We tr we try and keep the unity between the youths. I mean, but you don't want them going off tracks. You know, I mean, you want them to be start meeting like-minded people as well. It's brilliant, and obviously you'll be competing on the eleventh yeah. or sixteenth. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> You're putting me on it now. No, indeed. So I look forward to. <laughs> I also, might do. I might do. Well, no, it's, it's all about. Like I say, you're certainly in the shape to be competing mm. in this sort of stuff. It's your element, isn't it? I'll give everyone else a chance as well to win. And. Um, so talking about your future, what does the future hold for injection? Bro, I used to, from a very young age, sit there and I had planned out my future. You know what? Nothing really planned out as I wanted it. Um, so I think what I realised is, go with the flow, live every single day like it's your last, enjoy it. You don't know what's around the corner. Absolutely. And so that's sort of a, a great message for the viewers in itself about C's in the moment. Um, have you got a message specifically for the Sikh community that are going to be watching this? And I mean, obviously for people that obviously know that you've been, mm -hmm. like say, involved in bad stuff in, in the yeah. past, obviously to know that, to tell them that obviously your intentions are good now and obviously you're doing things in a different way. You know what it is, is you try telling people that you're trying to help them and you're trying to do good. They will never believe it. They'll always chat shit. People always, internet warriors, chatting shit, rubbish. Um, I've always told people, don't worry about what the other person's thinking. Never worry about what the public's thinking. They will chat rubbish. You do what you need to do on a daily basis. Whatever's going to help you sleep at night, you do it. You understand? If you're walking down the street and someone's getting beaten up and you walk away, you ain't going to sleep at night. You're going to be thinking, shit, I walked away like a coward. Or you can decide and you can help them. Then you'll get some good sleep. You understand? Mm -hmm. So I always try and tell people that, look, especially the guys from the Sikh community, yeah, it's in our blood to help people. We are warriors. We come back, we come from a warrior background. We have warrior genetics. We are we have a warrior bloodline. So whether you are a Sikh, Hindu, Muslim, white, black, Chinese, you name it, whatever, if you are seeing somebody in trouble. It is in our blood to help that person. This is what we do. So for those people that are going to sit at home and think, oh, no, 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 I don't want to do that. Let next man deal with it. 
change your fucking name, change your religion, because you ain't no Sikh, you ain't no Singh, because the real Sikhs, the real Sikhs, they will do whatever it takes to help another person. That is the way we do it, you understand? That is the way it's, the way it's always going to be. And that's fantastic because everyone should sort of follow that lead, not just Sikhs. It always, be. always. And so are there any sort of specific messages you'd like to send out there to your loved ones or maybe your enemies um, or anything else that you'd like to sort of touch on? Well, right, to the enemies, all I can say is when I had the chance, I should have finished you lot off. Um, but you lot keep trying because your shit will always eventually float to the surface. That's just the way it is. And uh, I will keep doing what I've got to do. You know and all the people that are watching, all I can say to you guys is, look, I'm just human, just like everyone else. I bleed like you guys. You know, um, I'm made from the same shit. If I can do this and I can make a stand and I can help people, what's stopping you lot from doing it? Indeed. And so um, how about how can people contact you? Obviously, people don't know you've got Instagram. You're big, big on the Instagram and... Uh, Constantly putting updates up and posts up and yeah. uh, all the sort of help you do. Is that the best way for people to contact best you? Best way is probably Instagram. You've got um, Instagram, um, injection.sherepunjab. That's S-H-E-R-E-P-U-N-J-A-B. Uh, you can contact me on there. Um, I'm on YouTube, I'm on Facebook. And, um, and the yeah. links will all be down in the description, guys, below this. So... Um, so like I said, this has been incredible today, um, listening to your story. Um, hopefully this is something we could do again in the future. Hopefully you're going to like the way this come out. I'm sure you will. And I'd like to, to really thank you sort of, for the opportunity today, mm. Injection. Um, before we finish, anything else you'd like to sort of add? Or? Yeah, I'm good, man. Give it another couple of months. Interview me again. I'll guarantee I'll give you another couple of hours of footage. Oh, no, <laughs> great talker. There's always something going on, bro. Like you say, the craziest life, especially yeah. at a relatively young age. Well, I tell people some of the stories that stuff we've done through, we've done in life, and um, they're like, "Whoa, like, this is the kind of stuff they see in the movies." You, they think you've never heard of this actually happening in real life, but it's life, isn't it? course it depends whose life it is mm. but um well, like i said it's been incredible i've really enjoyed this and i thank you very much for the opportunity thank you Paul. and like i said hopefully it's something we could do some more of down the line and if you want me to come to any of these sort of events and put on camera phil will help you out anyway um, i'd like to repay the favor 100 so thank you very much